Welcome to Zero Knowledge. I'm your host, Anna Rose. In this podcast, we will be exploring the latest in zero knowledge research and the decentralized web, as well as new paradigms that promise to change the way we interact and transact online. This week, we dive back into accumulation schemes with Benedict Bunz and Binyi Chen from Espresso. We chat about the recent Protostar work, a non-uniform IVC scheme for Planck that supports high-degree gates and vector lookups. In our episode, we explore some of the backstory to these techniques, share some definitions for commonly used terms in the accumulation literature, and discuss recent works like Nova and Hypernova and how these compare to Protostar. Now, before we kick off, Tanya will share a little bit about this week's sponsor. Aztec Network is building a next-generation encrypted blockchain powered by Ethereum. The team is proud to announce Noir, the world's first universal ZK language. Noir makes it safe and intuitive to write ZK circuits and encrypted smart contracts, enabling novel use cases like encrypted DeFi, private governance, and ZK gaming. As a universal language, Noir is domain-specific but blockchain-agnostic. You can build powerful ZK applications compatible with multiple proving systems and verify your program on any EVM chain. Get started with Noir today at docs.aztec.network forward slash Noir. You can also find the link in our show notes. And now here's our episode. So today I'm here with Benedict Bunz, co-founder at Espresso Systems, and Benny Chen, Chief Cryptographer at Espresso Systems. Welcome both of you to the show. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Benedict, you have been on the show before. We were just before we started reminiscing a little bit about the fact that you'd been on quite early in the show's life, uh, I think 2018, 2019. To anyone who isn't familiar, you're one of the co-authors of Bulletproofs. You're one of the inventors of Verifiable Delay Function, Hyperplunk. You have so many works that I think our audience will be familiar with. Um, and if they've heard the episodes before that you've been on, they might know a bit about you. But still, I think it would be great if you can share a little intro to yourself and maybe what you've been working on more recently. Yeah. So I did my PhD at Stanford, and then I also co-founded Espresso Systems, um, which we'll talk about a little bit. But uh, in the research space, I'm also a researcher. I'm an academic. Um, I'll be starting as an assistant professor at NYU in the fall. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm generally interested in a bunch of cryptography that, you know, helps and improves blockchains. Um, so zero knowledge proofs, uh, are in the forefront of that, but also, uh, verify lay functions and, and other, other just cryptography that helps to make blockchains more private, helps make them more efficient, helps make them more environmentally friendly. So these are the things that get me excited. And, uh, today, we're going to talk about uh, a work called Protostar, which is sort of in a family of works that I and, and, and many others in the field have been working on over the last couple of years. Fantastic. Binyi, share a little bit about your background. What led you to work on Protostar? Yeah, so my name is Binyi. Uh, I did my, I'm a chief cryptographer at Espresso System. I did my PhD at UCSB, and I also spent one year at the University of Washington as a visiting PhD scholar. And after graduation, I spent one year at Google as a cryptography engineer. So during my PhD, I'm mainly working on proving the security of some symmetric uh, cryptography primitives like hash functions or memory hard functions. We are the first one to prove the security of the script, which is very renowned script hash functions. 
And only after um, the graduation, I kind of started working with Bandic and Ben and started my journey of exploring ZKP field and SNARKs and started working on this really intriguing and exciting field. And I guess that's the reason I started working on things like Hyperplunk and Protostar. Yeah. Cool. What is it about it that got you excited? Is it because it's very cutting edge, hard? Like, is what what is it exactly? It's two perspectives. First is that it really involves some really advanced mathematics, which uh, make me very interested because I'm interested in probability theory and uh, mathematics. So it really has some really deep theory on top of it. And also it really has really exciting applications, for example, like in blockchain and machine learning. So I kind of like the intersection on these kind of two fields. Basically, you can do some really cool stuff in math, but this cool math stuff can have really real impact in the world that can maybe like have real influence to the real applications. I think that's the main reason I kind of find it really intriguing and exciting. Cool. Actually, I just was thinking, Benedict, you've been in this field for so long. I am curious how you feel about its evolution recently. Like you, you were working in this when it was pretty obscure still, <laughs> I feel. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I consider myself like the first generation of PhD students that actually got into cryptography from an interest in blockchain. Um, so for me, like I was like, you know, I was into blockchain since 2011, like, you know, when I was barely born, uh, but, you know, and blockchains were barely born, but like, and then I, I, you know, I came to Stanford to do my master's and I took like one cryptography class and with Dan Bonet and, and, uh, I was really excited about it, not just because the subject itself is interesting, but because I already knew the application so well, wow. but that was at a time where like, you know, most cryptographers, I would say a little bit shunned the field of like the blockchain application because it's, you know, it's like noisy. It's, you know, like there's a lot of like things going on, um, uh, but it's not as, you know, clean maybe as, as some of the things we have in, in academia. Um, but I was always excited about that. Um, you know, I was excited about like the potential application and also, you know, that uh, there is like, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure how many other cryptographic subfields have their own podcast. Um, you know, that's a, like, it's a really cool thing. And, and those are the things that get me excited. And another thing that is really cool and interesting to see is that it's now the innovation is coming not just from academia, but also from industry. And like, you know, I'm not talking about like, oh, you know, sort of better implementations, but like, you know, this kind of whole work of, of Protostar and the stuff that we talk about set up with Halo, mm-hmm. um, which was developed by Griggs, Hubwood and, and Sean and, yeah, and Zcash, um, who are, who are cryptography engineers and obviously incredibly smart uh, people, but it's really cool, right? Like this is really like, you know, at the forefront of academic research, mm-hmm. but the, the, the initial spark I would say came uh, from industry and, and, that like is, I don't know, I'm, I'm still more and more excited about it. And I have not yet gotten bored of the field uh, in, in, in any way, uh, nice. quite the opposite, I would say. Do you think ZK is also br- breaking out of blockchain a little bit? Like that's something that seems to be happening where it started obviously on its own, got brought into the blockchain context, f- received a lot of attention and funding. And it's like, there's this boom of new development. Like you just described this, this connection 
industry feeding academia and back and forth. Is there anything you've noticed with it sort of even expanding past that? I think so. I mean, like I've thought a lot about like why blockchain, like why, why zero knowledge and blockchain? Why is this the perfect marriage? Um, and I think like the, one of the fundamental answers that I've gotten to is that sort of the properties of, of blo- uh, blockchain and the properties of, of zero knowledge and snarks are sort of a perfect match. So mm. what do I mean by that? Well, in blockchains, you have one person who creates a transaction and then everybody has to verify it, right? Everybody runs the, like all the nodes, all the flow nodes run the smart contract that checks this transaction. So this is in some ways, it's like very redundant, but also inefficient, right? Because it's like one person, you know, creates something and then everybody has to check it. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's kind of a one to many. And snarks have, interestingly, have exactly the sort of the opposite properties where one person creates the proof and everybody who checks it, it does much less work, right? So you can kind of level the playing field there by using zero knowledge proofs by saying like, yeah, okay, now one person creates something but they can attach a snark to it. Like they can create, you know, a roll-up block, uh, even though m- multiple people have to check that snark, each individual person does a lot less, uh, less work. And mm. so that's a perfect match. And the question is like, you know, where else do we see uh, these applications? I think, you know, very recently there's been a lot of hype. I mean, there's always hype about AI, but, you know, uh, maybe there we, we get similar scenarios where, you know, you have one person who has some model uh, and wants to, you know, uh, assert that, you know, some properties like, you know, this text really comes from chat GPT and then everybody has to check it. And and if we can find scenarios like that, I think this will lead to new applications. And mm. uh, so that's one angle. And then the, the cool thing is, you know, with the blockchain adoption, just so much more maturity in, in software libraries and, and new research and, and all of that has come that, and I think this, this also enables new applications. So yeah, very helpful. Um, it's not quite there yet, I would say, for other applications, but very, very hopeful that this is going to come over the next five to 10 years. Cool. Benyi, I actually wonder from your perspective, like having worked at Google, was it at your time at Google where you started to learn about this stuff? No, I started after that. I, I see. Mo- okay. Mostly working on general cryptography rather than just the ZK Snarks. That is like after that, I'm I talked to uh, Benedict and Ben and started to get interesting ZK Snarks because I already know the notion and some very classical papers during my PhD. I just didn't um, like didn't touch much on the practical side of it. But after that, after meeting with Benedict and Ben, started to to work more deeper into it and mm-hmm. become more interesting in it. Yeah. Cool. Are you also observing it sort of branching out even further? Yeah. So. Like my conjecture is that it can be really useful in any scenarios that has to come asymmetry, uh, like class, right? Well, basically there's a one party which has really big power and has a lot of computational power and wants to prove some, uh, like prove something, some computation is correct. Mm-hmm. And this all happens in blockchain field as long as in, in like LLM, like chat GPT, which, uh, in the machine learning field, well, some company they have a lot of machine to to train some really powerful model but they can provide services to average people and in this kind of scenario i, I totally believe that zk scenario can be really useful and and not only this scenario any scenario that can has this kind of similar environments will will be getting like benefits from zk snarks i think so cool 
I was uh, just thinking, you know, like one, I mean, there's also like then, you know, so there's, there's this general paradigm, but then there's also other cool applications uh, that are popping up. Like um, I think recently uh, Trisha Data and, and Dan Monet had a, had a blog at real world crypto. They had um, this, this cool idea, which existed before, um, which is that, you know, now again, it's, it's related to AI, but it's not really AI. It's like, you want to know that, the photo that, you know, some, like someone posts a photo on, on Twitter and you want to know whether this was AI generated or real. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, the, actually there is some solution, which is that your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone actually signs cryptographically signs, uh, the, the, the photo that you take. But the problem is, like, you don't want to just post that photo. You might want to crop it, right? Like, you might want to do some small edits that don't significantly alter the integrity of the photo. Um, and you don't want to, you know, uh, like, you want to say that basically this used to be an original photo. And then I've done these, like, very small edits to it. And mm-hmm. now it's still a valid photo. And it turns out that you can use zero knowledge proofs to actually do this and do it, like, very practically. Um, and that's, you know, yet another cool application you know, yeah. of sort of giving journalistic integrity through, uh, through zero knowledge proofs. Benedict, I actually want to tell you about something that we're working on, which is with Daniel Kang, who has also done some work in that direction, where we're looking at a very similar thing for audio. So audio provenance. Because we created zkpod.ai, which is like a copy of my voice answering questions, how do you actually prove the difference? (laughs) Besides the fact that that voice knows everything that's ever been spoken about on the show, and I wouldn't necessarily (laughs) be able to say it so succinctly. Um, (laughs) But yeah. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Really cool. Yeah. (laughs) Photo, audio, video, everything. But the one thing we're still missing is attested sensors for all of those things. If you really want the end-to-end proof, um, at this point, right. the experiment we're doing, there is no attested microphone that we know of. So we're sort of yeah. m- like emulating that with an early signature. So we should introduce the audience to Espresso and what your company is working on. I want to do a very, very quick intro to it now, focus on Protostar, and then come back to it at the end of the episode. But yeah, share a little bit about what Espresso Systems is. And maybe I will note, we did do an episode on the project last year, I think, or 2021. So I'm going to add a link to that also in the show notes if people want to find out more. So at Espresso Systems, we're developing products and infrastructure to sort of make blockchains better. Um, So in particular, we have two products. Um, One of them is called Cape, which gives you customizable privacy for Ethereum assets. So it allows you to specify what kind of privacy your Ethereum assets should have. And the other like distinct product, these are two distinct uh, separate products, is called the Espresso Sequencer. So this is um, allows you to sequence transactions for these rollups, so either ZK rollups or optimistic rollups. And it's a decentralized and shared sequencer, which means that multiple rollups can use this sequencer. And it's not controlled by a single party like current sequencers, uh, which could then censor transaction and charge high fees. Yeah. But it is instead uh, decentralized. Which is kind of a big issue right now, right? Yeah. Like this has come up, this idea, this need for decentralized sequencers, or lay at least some criticism of some of the rollups for not having those yet. I think every rollup project at least suggests that that's on the roadmap. 
I think. That's correct. But like how they actually get there is not necessarily clear yet. Exactly. Everybody has it on the roadmap because everybody knows that this is a need. Um, but we're sort of providing it first. And also the idea is to have a shared sequencer that, that multiple uh, rollups can use together. Wow. But also as part of, you know, of our company, we have, you know, many amazing people like, like Vinny and, and, and others at the company. And, and we're also doing some research and uh, our goal is to put that research out. This is, you know, not even necessarily directly related to what we do, but our goal is to help the space um, because we're very, you know, involved and active in, in the space. So our goal is to make this research uh, sort of give back to the community and make it public and, and accessible for everyone. And uh, Protostar falls exactly into that category. Cool. And I think this is a perfect time to jump into Protostar. I feel like as a as a primer, I will suggest that folks listen to a previous episode we did maybe two or three episodes ago with Srinath Seti about Nova, Supernova, Hypernova, as well as like, you know, some ideas for what a future protocol could look like. I've understood Protostar as sort of a continuation, at least partly of this kind of line of thinking. I'll add the link to that in the show notes. But before we even jump into Protostar, I wonder if it would make sense for us to kind of refresh some definitions and things that those works I just listed brought to the table. So maybe we can start with the one that comes up the most, which is folding or accumulation. Maybe a first question is, do you see a difference between folding and accumulation schemes? (laughs) From my understanding, uh, it's basically just a kind of different description to the same abstract object, I would say. Yeah. So what folding is saying that they are folding some statements and there is some uh, witness behind it. And the checking of witness in the, in the accumulation language is exactly the decision. So basically, in the accumulation language, there are three steps. First is accumula- accumulation, and uh, second is ac- accumulation proofing and accumulation verification and the deciding. And accumulation verifying is very similar to what folding scheme it is for folding to um, MP statements or R1CS statements. Interesting. And the check the correctness of its witness or statements at the end and the last step is basically equivalent to the decision step in accumulation. Can you list those again? Accumulation, you sort of said it. It was like yeah, the first so one is gathering. Accumulation includes like accumulation proving and, and accumulation verifying. And accumulation verifying is very similar to the folding of the statements in the folding scheme. And okay. accumulation proving is very similar to the folding of the entire, like both statements and a witness of the MP statement or R1CS statement in the folding language. Interesting. And finally, there is a deciding algorithm in accumulation, which is basically, I think, is similar to checking the correctness of these statements with respect to certain witness in the folding language. Okay. Why is there that split? of language. Is it because of different papers and groups that are working on the same thing, but just describing it differently? Or is it like there was an older definition that has been re revamped? No, it's essentially, it's a, it's a, it's a, a paper thing, different papers that <laughs> sort of, uh, yeah, it's a paper okay. thing. Okay. Um, I can give you like, you know, the, the precise history. It's like, uh, or it's, it started with halo, um, you know, which introduced this concept of delayed sort of verification. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when I do these recursive snarks, the idea is that instead of fully checking the entire snark, 
I'm going to postpone some of these checks. I'm going to like batch them or, or fold them or accumulate them with other checks, right? All the same things. And uh, then basically check them later. Yeah. And uh, so this, this idea was introduced by Halo. And then we formalized this in a work. So I was one of the co-authors of that uh, together with Prajuj Mishra, Nick Spooner, and Alessandra Chiesa. And um, we formalized this and sort of showed that, like, um, gave like very precise proofs that this really gives you, you know, the same thing as recursive snarks. What was that paper? Um, it's called. Uh, it doesn't, you know, the the the, the it doesn't know, have the, a grade. We made the mistake. <laughs> of not have a name for that. <laughs> you know, you get you get uh, you get uh, criticized. Whether you have, you know, you come up with some fancy name and then you get ridiculed for it, and you don't come up with a fancy name, and then and everyone forgets paper, so. the paper. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, it's not quite true, but there's some truth. Mm. So the paper is called "Proof Carrying Data from Accumulation Schemes." Okay, and then actually later on uh, that same year, I think this is 2020, we had a paper showing um, that you know this was all based on kind of these these bulletproofs inner product arguments like that's where both halo and, and this paper were based on um and then later on uh there was a paper by actually uh, ben fish and, and dan benet and and others um that called, was called halo infinite that sort of extended this to arbitrary polynomial commitment schemes like, so it doesn't have to be the bulletproof polynomial commitment scheme but it can be arbitrary polynomial commitment scheme and around the same time or slightly afterwards um I had another paper with with the same co-authors of the accumulation scheme paper, which sort of gave the first uh, accumulation scheme for R1CS. Okay. So this is basically just directly saying, okay, here is your circuit written as an R1CS. And, you know, how can we give a folding scheme? And it was very efficient. It has, you know, three group operations. And then uh, after that, shortly after that, Nova came out and brought it down from three to two. And they also gave it a new name, calling it folding schemes. Okay. Um, which admittedly is a better name. Like, I think it's like, you know, they could have used our name. Like, I, I have to say accumulation schemes as a name was their first. Folding schemes is just a better name. I completely admit it. Maybe we should just use folding schemes. Wow. But it's now like uh, a, little, yeah. a little academic History. split there. <laughs> but good yeah, to know. It's, 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 wow, that's fascinating. And do you think... I mean, so the Nova breakthrough then was using something that you're saying was kind of introduced in this previous work, but did it become more efficient? Did it become like more tangible with Nova? Um, I mean, it gets down from like three group operations to two group operations, which is 50% better. I think like our scheme before was also already absolutely practical. Okay. I think they, you know, they... Um, uh, I think they, they would say that their work was concurrent. They were working on it on, at the same time. Um, so it was like, I would say, you know, those works you can put into the same basket, I would say, you know, like they sort of, they're very similar to be honest, cool. but you know, like two is better than three and in this world <laughs> we want smaller numbers. Um, so, you know, yeah. That, that work that you're describing that came before, what's the name of that paper? Is that the infinite or is that something else? It's called proof carrying data without succinct arguments. And okay. the, because the innovation, you know, sort of there is that, Previously, we've gotten like recursive snarks from snarks, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there had to be something snarks. The S in snarks stands for succinct, right? So you have to start with a succinct proof, something that is very short, 
in order to do this recursion. And, and it seemed to be like, you know, that there's an inherent reason for that. But it turns out that with these folding and accumulation schemes, we can actually build sort of these recursive proofs or these, these chains of proofs from something that isn't even like where the proof isn't even short, as long as basically we have an efficient folding scheme for that proof system. Mm. So that's kind of the, 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 you know, sort of when we look at it, not in terms of concrete numbers, but in terms of like, you know, fundamentally, what is the new innovation is like, it's, it's kind of amazing how little we need in order to get this really, really powerful thing that previously we only got from recursive uh, snarks. And that distinction between accumulation and recursion, is that distinction made because of where this sort of combining is happening? Is like recursion, I always thought of that like the end of a full snark process. You then combine those and do it again. Whereas the folding seems to be happening at an earlier stage, like within a snark. I don't know if that's the right mental model, but... Yeah, I think so. That's that's correct. Basically, the idea of accumulation is that basically you just uh, um, folding the list of statements into a merge statement and just check it at the last step. That's very similar mm-hmm. to what Halo, like in philosophically is very similar to the idea of Halo. But mm-hmm. recursive snark is very different. Like basically, every step you verify this snark directly mm-hmm. in the circuits, but that makes it much less efficient because. Person, because basically you need to uh, verify this NARC in the circuits, and that requires the cycles of pairing-friendly curves, or, or mostly you you might also need a trusted setup, so on and so forth. Yeah, so I guess cool. your understanding is correct. Well, the distinction between accumulation scheme and NARC is like that. Yeah, the, the recursion. Right. Um, a few more definitions we might want to cover: IVC, incrementally verifiable computation. What does that refer to? Is that what you fold? So I think IVC is kind of different. It's like a very, very useful crypto primitives for proving the correctness of multiple iterative execution of some same function, same step functions. For example, we can understand the step function as a single OP code in, in EVM, for example, or a single iterative functions in the variable fileable delay function. But here, the key requirement of IVC is that the proof size as well as the verifiable cost of IVC should be independent of the number of these executions of these single step functions. That makes it much useful than naively using a ZK snark for proving the correctness of this entire gigantic computations. Mm-hmm. So that's the general idea of what IVC is. And I think it has wide applications like verifiable delay functions and succinct blockchains like MENA and also uh, ZK EVM, which I think is one of the most intriguing um, applications of IVC, I guess. And I guess the work you're doing, like anytime you're doing folding, this is what we learned on a previous Hypernova episode, which was if you have these kind of repetitive processes that become something that you would want to use one of these works on. So one, like this is really actually cool thing about incrementally verifiable computation. Like I encourage the readers to read the first paper on incrementally verifiable computation which is, I think, from 2008. Oh, wow. Yes. Um, okay. By Paul, Paul Valiant. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. And it's like the introduction is great um, because it has sort of this, you know, there's perhaps the simplest way to introduce the computational problem we address to is we address it 
as like there's a human motivation and a computational setting. And the human motivation is like, imagine humanity. It's, it's literally um, the, uh, what is it? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy thing. So imagine, you know, we have the supercomputer that computes the answer to everything, you know, for like, what is it exactly? It's is 42. To everything in the universe. And, <laughs> exactly. And it's 42. So, but it runs for like, you know, multiple centuries in order to compute that answer. But the problem is you want to know, like you want to like stop it in the middle and check that like, you know, so far it's been doing the correct thing. And you also want to be able to hand off this computation. So say you have some newer like hardware, you want to hand it off on, on the next computer, but like you want to basically be sure that the computation so far was correct without having to rerun it. Mm. And this is exactly incrementally verifiable computation. It's computation that runs like almost indefinitely. But at every single step, I can check that the computation was correct, right? I can stop at any step and I can see, okay, currently this is, you know, the, the computation and it's so far it's been correct. And, okay. you know, one natural application is, is you know, Binny was talking about ZKVM, but like, you know, one, another one is, is similar to what Mina is doing is these, these succinct blockchains where at every block, like a blockchain is an infinite computation, mm-hmm. right? It just adds block to it. But at every block, I want to check that so far, everything's, all the transactions were valid without having to go through the entire history. And that is IVC. And folding and accumulation allows us to build IVC, which is something that previously we needed recursive snarks to. I see. So it's the hammer or the, I don't know, like the tool that we use to build IVC. Right. Okay. So IVC is almost like the, the meta architecture, like the meta concept you're trying to achieve with all of these it's different the goal, yes, exactly. Yeah, the goal, the exactly. ultimate application you want to build. I yeah. see. Cool. Okay, one more definition, and then we're going to move on to Protostar properly. Um, error vector or Slack vector, this seems to have something to do with folding. What is this? And are they the same thing? <laughs> yeah, so it's, um, yeah, I think they're the same t- thing. Okay. I've also heard cross terms, you know, it's essentially uh, the way that a lot of these these um, folding schemes work, and and one of the main things uh, for shattering the one of the main things we do in Protostar is generalize the recipe of how to build these things. Is that you have two statements and you take a random linear combination between them, and then you multiply some things together, you know, which gives you some polynomial. So it has multiple coefficients or terms, but you only care about two of them. Like, you know, you care about the smallest one and the largest one. And then there's a bunch of middle ones in the middle. And essentially those are the error terms or the slack terms. And uh, this is an idea. And what you do is like you essentially, you send these error terms in the first step and then you get a random challenge and then you can check sort of the correctness by evaluating the polynomial at this random challenge so there's kind of this two step process i first send the error terms and then i send the 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 challenge and then i check that you know these error terms are are correct mm-hmm. and this is a general technique that you know appears all over the place so you can understand uh, bulletproofs in that way you can understand many prior works in that way many 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 following works uh, they all kind of use this technique of committing to some some error terms and then evaluating a polynomial at a random point. Each step of the folding, though, are you using the same error terms? Is it sort of like a one-time thing that will be used for all of the steps, or is it just done once? 
I have trouble visualizing this still. I like I, I kind of follow the other stuff, but this one's tricky. Yeah, it has different intermediate cross factor in each step of folding. Well, it basically is just what, what we call the accumulation uh, proof. But you also need to maintain a single error com vector commitment, which is part of the uh, folding statements or accumulation. That's why also why Nova they introduced the so-called relaxed R1CS statement. Because traditionally, you can understand R1CS statement as some MP statement that has no error, right? And this, the error is just zero. But you can definitely generalize that to make it a relaxed R1CS statement so that it adds some slack vector so that it both covers the original non-error uh, MP statement, but also cover the one that's that statements being built after a folding. And the reason it has this slack vector is exactly what Ben uh, explained. When you multiply two things, there are some, the first term and the, the higher degree term, but also there are some intermediate terms that cause these kind of errors. Hmm. I think maybe one, one way to understand this is that, say I have two multiplications, you know, I have two simple multiplications, right? And I want to check that both of them are correct. So I want to check that 3 times 5 is equal to 15 and uh, 4 times 2 is equal to 8. Um, and what I can do then is is I take sort of, you know, I want to combine them into one. Mm -hmm. So I, I take some linear combination between 3 and 4 and 5 and 2. Mm -hmm. The problem is that then, you know, so then I get essentially, you know, I get some some result of this. I get both, you know, like the small coefficient is going to be the, the three times five multiplication and the large coefficient is going to be the four times two multiplication. So those I can check. The problem is that in the middle, you know, everything gets kind of mixed up. Like, you know, I get three times two and four mm. times plus four times five. So I somehow need to, you know, cancel those out. That is kind of, those are the error or the slack terms. Those things need to be canceled out. And they need to be canceled out in a way where the prover cannot cheat. Um, so what it does is it, it essentially sends this, this cross product or this uh, error term, slack term beforehand because it can compute beforehand what it's going to be. And that basically cancels it out in the final process. It's not that like when it says slack or error, it's not that it gives like a wider range of correctness. It's not that it's like when, and when you say relax, it's not that. Okay, you're, you're actually just removing that messy part. Yes, it's okay. exactly removing the messy part, uh, canceling okay. out the messy part. It doesn't give you a wider range of correctness. Yeah. Cool. All right. That helps, actually. Thanks, Benedict. Thanks, Vinier. I think we're getting somewhere. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. Okay. So one of the things that I guess over the last month or so that had been kind of coming up was this, you know, excitement around folding. And there was sort of another camp who were excited more about some checks and there was almost like a versus happening between these two camps. And then Hypernova comes out and uses both techniques. I thought when Protostar came out that it also incorporated some check and folding, but I just heard that that might not be true. So tell me a little bit about what Protostar is doing and maybe help us like, you know, we've been sort of following the Nova Hypernova trajectory. Where does it differ? Yeah, sure. I think first, the goal of both Hypernova and Protostar is very similar. The goal is basically to support like high degree gates really efficiently uh, without the use of like large, heavy cryptographic operations. 
So before that, we see that there's actually some new work called Sangria that kind of achieved this. They support Planck relation, but when they generalize NOVA to the high degree gates, there are some caveats. Basically, the prover complexity and also the recursive circuit size are both proportional to the gate of the degree. So both hypernova and the protostar wants to minimize this, want to eliminate this cost. Okay. So that's the basically the, the same goal for both protostar and uh, and hypernova. But the, the route to solve this is kind of different. Mm. What hypernova did is that they use a new accumulation scheme or new folding scheme that afforded two empty statements in a different way using some check protocols. But our scheme basically doesn't use some check protocol at all okay. for folding. The folding is very similar to NOVA, but it's a generalization to NOVA. Mm. The key here is that we change the relation to be folded in, into a new relation so that the check used is a compressed check so that basically there's only one equation to be checked in this relation. And this makes the error vector commitments, which Bandic already mentioned before, to be much, much easier. So basically, okay. before in the, in the tr- traditional case, what you do is need to check N gates, right? You need to check N equations where each equation is a D gate. And to cover that, you need to commit to some error vector whose length is number of gates, basically N. Okay. So that's the reason why you need to commit a lot of error terms, basically uh, proportional to D as well as to the number of gates. And that was expensive, right? That's what expensive. Was like, this is what was making a lot of this kind of like clunky. Right, right. Is it slow or is it just costly? Cost Very costly, especially okay. if you want to use really high degree gates, like D equals like 100. Okay. And it was because you're creating lots of error vectors. This, uh, this, when we talked yes. about this, there yes. was like one general error vector, but there was also like these smaller D ones. D general vectors. Okay, yeah, okay. when the degree becomes D, the error vector becomes from, change from one to D. Okay. And basically in hypernova, they still has this large vector, but what they do is they use a sum check to do this folding so that there's doesn't involve any group operations at all for that. Mm. But what we did is quite different. Basically, we merged this kind of N gates into a single gate. So basically, there's only one equation to be checked. So that means there's only one error elements for each error vector. So a commitment to a single element can just be a trivial identity function rather than a, a group-based homomorphic vector commitments. So that's our trick. Isn't that what the sum check's supposed to do? Isn't it supposed to combine it into one? Like, what did you use if not that? I would say, I mean, yes. So exactly, completely right. Um, I think, like, to some degree, you could say that the sum check is an overkill here. Um, so, you know, the sum check protocol, again you know, also allows the, you know, it's, it's, it's like a snark almost in itself, right? It's uh, uh, like, it has, the makes the verifier efficient and it has short proofs, but it turns out that, you know, what sort of these folding schemes and these accumulation schemes that the verification showed us is that it's okay to sort of do more expensive things as long as you can delay them, as long as you can push them to the end. Right. So what we do is no fancy sum check protocol. We just take uh, what is called a random linear combination. Like, you know, we just batch them all together in sort of the most trivial way. Mm-hmm. And uh, the amazing thing is that that if you did this, this would not give you a snark for the statement. But we don't care because we can delay the check of this random linear combination until the very end. We can mm. push it until the very end. And 
yeah, what is I think what is really nice, like uh, what I'm quite proud of in, in, in Protostar is that we kind of usually there's there's two things, you know, you can build something very general that works for a lot of protocols, but you might give up on, you know, sort of some features or some efficiency. And what we do is we like extract this very, very general recipe. Mm. Like we really break it down into building blocks. Like, okay, you start with like, you know, your most simple, like our, our recipe would totally explains, like sort of it exposed explains how you could get Nova from uh, something like Nova or something like Sangria. But we both do this general recipe, but it's also practically extremely efficient. So, so it has better parameters than Hypernova. It's like sort of, the best folding scheme that is out there um, because sort of once you break it down into these very simple building blocks, it's very easy to think about them and, and sort of come up with, with very efficient building blocks. And, and this gives us a, a very efficient scheme. Cool. So I think that like, it's a sum of things, but it's, it's not a sum check uh, or yeah, I would say yeah, the sum check is, is, is the overkill here. Interesting. Um, yeah. And also this also adds some efficiency uh, advantage because basically uh, this, in the sum check, we need to do some hashes, and number of hashes is really related to the number of gates. And we eliminate those hashes. Basically, we, ha we are reducing to the number of hashes as well as the field operations by a factor of log n in the circuits. Cool. So you had sort of mentioned that Nova had originally been built really with like R1CS in mind. I know Sangria came along and enabled more of a Planck-like arithmetization, I think, to be used with it. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Um, what is Protostar used with? Like, where does it fall on that? Is it also R1CS or something else? No, it's something else. Before that, I really want to highlight uh, the general recipe we have, as Bandic said. So basically, this kind of general framework for building IVC scheme is really, really useful for us to build a new IVC scheme that supports really fancy and advanced gates. Okay. The reason of that is that this kind of modularity can very easily incubate new IVC uh, innovations because we can kind of abstractize a lot of steps into a general compiler. So basically now, if you really want to build an IVC scheme, this becomes a really easy problem in our framework. What you do is just you need to come up with some uh, so-called special sound interactive protocols for these target relations. And these relations can be R1CS, can be Planck relations, can be Turbo Planck, mm -hmm. can be Archer Planck or like plus, uh, plus lookup, or even the recently uh, introduced customized constraint system by uh, I think Bresunas. Yeah. And for all these kind of relations, you only need to give a very naive and a simple interact pro protocol for that. Most of the scheme are justly, just basically letting the prover send the entire witness of these statements and verify or just check that this witness is correct with respect to this statement. We don't have any kind of succinct requirements or non-interact requirements for this. And this makes it much easier to design this kind of scheme for these kinds of very complicated relations like lookup, Planck. Mm. And after that, after having this relation, uh, having this protocol for this relation, we just fit it into our very generic compiler and boom, you get a new IVC scheme that's satisfy some new very cool features Interesting. and also with great efficiency huh. so so just as an example of that right like so we originally wrote it with plunk in mind the plunk okay. arithmetization um also supporting uh lookup gates really really efficiently we can talk about that also a little bit um uh so you know sort of just 
supporting the latest state of the art of of of, of plunk uh, plunkers constraints. But then, you know, sort of uh, Hypernova and, and these customizer constraint systems came out. Uh, so Srinas had this, you know, really cool new arithmetization, which which might have some significant advantages over Plunk. That's still to be seen a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, at least he would claim it has significant advantages. And uh, we then, you know, like very quickly, we were like, oh, let's see, you know, whether this works with our compiler. So we sort of pressed that through our compiler and bam, you know, like it takes... Um, like sort of the proof of security is like uh, a couple lines and and we sort of now put that into the appendix of the paper because it turns out that you can get exactly the same efficiency benefits and the same uh, sort of other benefits by uh, using now customizable constraint system. And if in, in a year someone comes out with, mm. I don't know, Air++, CCS, whatever, you know, <laughs> like the coolest, newest constraint system, as long as it has like, you know, the right sort of properties then uh, or it, it most likely will fit into the the compiler and you know give you a new folding scheme i just wanted like you just sort of mentioned is constraint systems almost a category of itself in this modular stack that you describe like we have the folding accumulation schemes we have the lookup tables is this a third the constraint systems that one should sort of be looking at development yeah, forward? I would say so. Okay. And, and like what is, oh, interesting. you know, what what oftentimes happens in, in this field is um, that, you know, sort of in the beginning, people design, you know, schemes sort of like more monolithically. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking, you know, like sort of the first zero snarks. Cash are like or more, zero coin. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They, yeah, they, they, they build like, you know, one big snark, you know, that like does the arithmetization and does everything. And does, you know, like one pull it and then, you know, sort of like people pull them apart um, and say that, oh, actually, like we can view them as modular components. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can swap out the polynomial commitment. You can use the arithmetization from Plunk, but you can replace, uh, you know, the KZG polynomial commitment scheme with like in in a product based polynomial commitment scheme or with a fry based yeah. polynomial commitment scheme and this gives you something new and you can give it a new name but it's really just like you know taking the lego pieces and putting them together and then you know you can add lookup uh, you know like in the beginning maybe we thought of lookup as like being part of plunk but really no it's it's kind of separate and 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 you know it's very important and and, and to to sort of pull these pieces apart because then like innovation can happen more quickly because, uh, you know, an innovation on one Lego piece sort of innovates the whole stack. And yeah, one thing that, that uh, and absolutely true, like you th- should now think of the arithmetization as something separate. Wow. You know, and then sort of our compiler gives you an, a folding scheme for uh, that arithmetization. Exactly. So I just want to sort of repeat, because I've pulled out four things from what you described there. There's constraint systems, lookup arguments, uh, accumulation schemes and arithmetization, or like versions of it. I, th- I would say is, constraint system and 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 arithmetization are are the same. same. Pretty similar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would say it's the same. Although you know, like maybe someone pulls you know <laughs> the, the things apart there, so like you never know, All right? right? Uh, is, is there I, anything? I, there's always else? more to do. Is there anything else that we should be on the lookout in terms of that? Like mod, like modules that you think. I mean, you just maybe that could be one. But yeah, is there anything else that you're examining that you might be able to? distinguish and start I mean, optimizing one, one thing that is kind of cool is that so um i think you know one of the things that nova did originally is that you you at the end you have this 
decider and right like we, we said like you know the whole idea is we don't need succinctness anymore we don't need snarks anymore and it turns out that this is true to some degree you don't need succinctness in the recursive uh step anymore but at the end of the day right like at the end you know like uh you you then might get like if i do these this ivc for say a blockchain you get a proof that is about as large as one block mm. right that has the size of one block so you might still want to you know compress that proof right like maybe even one block is too large if you're downloading this on 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 your phone right so you might still want to attach a snark at the very end right like you can always do that like you know throw a snark at it at the very end and so that's you know yet another component um this is recursion in a way or this is yeah, the compression it's, it's 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 i would say compression is okay. the better word at the very end right like it's it's only we don't do this like multiple times anymore mm-hmm. we only do it once sort of uh we plug the hole at the end like um and and Nova, for example, introduced like a very efficient snark for their bolding scheme. Like for example, we did not do this for our scheme. Like we left this as kind of, you know, you could throw some generic snark at it, but like there's more work to be done to make this like, you know, very efficient and specific and you know, like looking at it uh precisely. Mm-hmm. Um but this is again like the reason why we left this sort of out of uh is is because it's modular, right? Like someone, yeah. you know, like, uh, again, like other, uh, like this is a separate work almost. How close to implementable is Protostar? Like, would you say it's built in a way, like in the way you, you've described it, could someone already turn this into a VM? Or do you think that we're so, sort of like still on the lookout for some monster protocol that brings all of this new research together. I'm kind of wondering, just in the same way, like Plonk sort of like it grabbed Mindshare for a period of time. And then Halo 2, I feel, has grabbed Mindshare. Do you think Protostar could be that? Or do you think that there's like work still coming that unifies some of these things? I think for uh, first for implementation, I think it's very close to to be able to implement as long okay. as we write a monolithic, like combine all these modular tasks in integrate into a single protocol that I think can be like very efficient to implement. And in certain scenarios, I do think that it can be very, very advantageous over other kind of uh, approaches like directly using a SNARKs. For example, if you want to um, prove some EVM transactions, right, which involves a lot of OP codes, then our scheme is really fit for that because Mm -hmm. basically it it supports high degree gates and it supports lookup and moreover, it supports some kinds of non-uniform computations. What it means is that you can select which circuits to run or to prove at runtime. Like, for example, in EVM, there's hundreds of OP code, right? And in the traditional way, what you do is you want need to capture the proving of this hundreds of code in one single small circuit. Mm. But that's really expensive because you almost embed all the cost for every OP code rather than the OP code cost first for the one that you run at the step. But we have a really, really, really simple way to get around it. And basically the circuits in each step is only proportional to the cost or the complexity of a single OP code rather than multiple OP codes. Okay. And this makes it very, very advantageous for solving this kind of problem compared to the um, monolithic CK snark scheme. Actually, this made me wonder, is there a specific lookup argument that goes well 
with Protostar. You sort of say it's modular, but does it use, I don't know if this is described, but as far as I know, some of the most advanced lookup arguments are reliant on KZG's homomorphic additiveness. What was it again? Um, this property. So does, does Protostar have that characteristic? Is it working with something like KZG or is it something else? Uh, I guess we do have a lookup protocol for, for our Protostar, but you mm -hmm. can plug into arbitrary vector commitments if you want. Like if you're using like um, Patterson commitments, fine. And using KDG is also fine. And the key okay. innovation here is we do have a new, again, special sound interactive protocol for lookup relations. And that's something new. And that's something really, really useful because basically with this new kinds of protocol, which by the way is, is inspired by some previous work called uh, uh, logarithmic derivatives by Habok, I think, which is really uh, great work. And it, mm -hmm. it inspires our um, protocol design. And the resulting IVC prover for lookup now is um, only related to the number of lookup gates in this lookup relation, but independent of the lookup table size. Mm. This is some like kind of feature that also in, achieved by some other lookup argument like CQ, but we are really in a very different flavor. Like we are basically more related to the IVC framework. So you have a unique lookup argument part yeah, of this. And, okay. and the interesting thing is that it's both like it has better properties, like asymptotic properties than like something like CQ. It sort of is, is completely independent of the table size. It's you know, completely linear versus CQ is, has some n log n factors, but it doesn't even require the pairings of KZG. Mm. So you might ask yourself, like, how is this possible, right? Like, how can it achieve more and, and sort of require less? Well, the idea is that, again, we can delay some of the verification, right? We're in some ways in, in an easier setting where we can delay the check, you know, we can fold the check of this lookup argument itself Oh, wow. Um, and and uh, so basically at the very end of the cycle, like where at the very end of the recursion, you need to do work that is linear in uh, the size of the table that you're looking up in and, and yeah, the size of the table that you did your lookups in. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, you only have to do this once. You don't have to do this every step. So in every step, your work is very cheap. In every step, the work is only like proportional to the number of lookups you do, not the table size. And only at the very, very end, we push that work until the very end, either the work that is linear on the table. And this is why we get basically a lookup argument that is both simpler, like sort of, you know, you can, you don't need pairings. You can do this without pairings, without FFTs, you know, without all of those shenanigans um, and still has better properties. But that's because we're basically playing a different game. Got it. Yeah. I want to just quickly, can you please fix what I said before when I said homomorphic Additiveness. What, what was I trying to say? <laughs> additive. I think you say uh, homomorphic additiveness. Um, or additive yeah. homomorphism. Both of those are correct. Okay. Anyway. But actually, actually, it's. I think it's the multiplicative homomorphism. Like there's both additive and yes. some multiplicative homomorphism. Yeah. That's or the partial, special thing that I think. Yeah. Partial. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Partial multiplicative homomorphism that uh, these lookup arguments take advantage of. I see. But it's yeah. So I think what you just described though is that like you have a almost bespoke lookup argument that's so built in. It's built into the folding right. in a very different way and makes exactly. use of those properties. That's cool. Right. But inspired by you know uh, this this uh, logarithmic derivatives work. Um, mm. I mean, of course, like you know, we didn't 
you know, come everything we do is inspired by <laughs> yeah. you know, some prior works. Uh, <laughs> the shoulders of giants we stand on. Yeah. I want to ask you about security assumptions made mm-hmm. on some of these different protocols or constructs. How should we think about that in this case? Like, is there a ranking or like, yeah, how do you kind of place Protostar? Uh, I think for, uh, if I understand correctly, so basically currently almost all the IV scheme are from some like heuristic security assumptions because basically because you, um, most of the scheme are proving in the random Oracle model, but in the recursive circuit, you have to instantiate this hash in the circuit, but it's never possible to instantiate a random Oracle in the circuit. So what we have assumed is that heuristically, we assume that after we instantiate a random Oracle or the hash in the circuit is still secure. So from that point of view, like you can understand uh, that, uh, um, like there's no standard model security for all the VIVC scheme yet, but still they give you some uh, like confidence why it is secure um, be- beyond this this part, beyond this age. That's also why when we say that when we get an accumulation scheme, when we get an IVC scheme accumulation scheme, we are assuming some conjecture from like the on, on the security assumptions. Yeah, I think it's it's a very actually it's an interesting question because I would have answered it completely differently, and it really depends on who you ask. If you ask a theoretician, so this is the theory answer. So like in, in cryptography, <laughs> we sometimes fall into theory and yeah. and applied research, and, and and people do both, right? Like I think Benny and I both you know, fall somewhere in the middle. Um, so the theory answer is exactly what Binyu said, that the security of, of these IVC schemes is is really difficult to prove. And, mm. and uh, we don't really know, like we need to sort of some, like it, it's essentially related exactly to what Binyu said and, and the recursive stuff that we don't really know how to like fully give a security proof. But then there's also the practical thing, which is, you know, for example, what kind of elliptic curves do you need to use? And it turns out that all of these, like since Halo, kind of all the work that followed, so all the Nova work, all the accumulation for work, all the protostar, um, basically is able to build this without pairing friendly curves. Um, so just, you know, sort of like curves that don't even have a pairing. Mm. And why is this better? Well, it's better for two reasons. A, we have slightly more, you know, pairings are great because they give you a functionality. But they are slightly less secure, like right? They, they, you know, there's like it's a pairing is almost like a vulnerability in the pairing in in the security that we can take advantage of, like this partial multiplicative homomorphism. And um, so, not having to rely on pairing friendly curves is better from a practical security perspective. Mm. Also, it's better from an efficiency perspective because like pairings are expensive and and. Sort of these curves are 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 slightly more expensive. Like you know, they might be factored five or ten, or I don't know, uh, more expensive. So from a practical perspective, I would say that these IVC schemes actually have better security than you know, sort of like a Plunk Snark or like Gross sixteen Snark. Interesting. From a theoretical perspective, though, it's it's really weird because we have to rely on these heuristic <laughs> assumptions and oh. we don't know how to prove security. So interesting. Yeah, both are true. Yeah, one more word in in the theory perspective. Like in theory, you can also instantiate these vector commitments using lattice-based hash functions or even hash. Like in that case, it's even post-quantum secure, I guess, in that part compared mm. to the pairing-based co- commitment schemes, right? I think, correct? Uh, Binyi, I, I, I will... Uh, in know, theory. I'm uh, not sure that this is actually quite true because, you know, 
you uh, like, or it's difficult at least to do because in these lattice schemes, you have some error. And if you do the recursion over and over again, the error grows. So I don't think we quite know how to do this. Oh, I see. <laughs> That's an open question. But I, I mean, it's an open question, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's an open question of how to do this sort of post-quantum secure. So secure against quantum uh, uh, cryptography, quantum adversaries. Um, but a very important one, you know, like, mm. uh, can we do this? Yeah, where, uh, because everything we do so far is, yeah, is, is broken by a quantum computer. But maybe, maybe in the future, we can build something that is even secure against quantum computers. I want to ask a last question. A lot of the folding work has been focused on this, like, repetitive computation, things that also look identical being folded in together. But what happens if that isn't the case of the underlying data? Is there any work or exploration of like a more, yeah, like a, a more variant underlying computation? Yes, I think so. Actually, there's a like kind of pattern you can use if you want to do that for this kind of task, if the t- task itself is not repetitive, right? For example, if you want to build a snark for a program execution or mm-hmm. like circuits, what you can do is what you do is to just split these circuits into some like a, a lot of parts. And prove them separately ah. and combine them using PCD or IVC. That can also help you with proving something that's non-repetitive. And so that's why it's also useful in this kind of scenario. I think that, you know, one interesting thing to think about is that, um, well, how do computers work? Well, um, they have some, you know, at the end, you have, you have some program and that gets compiled down into instruction. Mm-hmm. And actually, like, you chip, right? Like it doesn't know at, you know, sort of at the beginning, like how to execute all different programs. It only knows how to do some basic instructions, like mm-hmm. adding and, and multiplying or sore, like, you know, add, yeah. add, sore, exactly, all of these things. And, you know, like modern CPUs do do quite a bit more things. Um, and similar, like the EVM, right, as, as Binny had been, has mentioned multiple times, right? Like it has different opcodes, right, for, for how it gets up. So it turns out, that if you actually can do, you know, just some of these basic instructions, that's actually enough to do like all of computation. And one thing that sort of, you know, Supernova did this first, uh, but, you know, we also sort of support and protostar very, very directly is what if I want to support multiple kinds of instructions? So, you know, not like multiple opcodes. One way to do this is just to have, you know, one circuit that does like instruction one, instruction two, you know, does all of them in parallel. And every single time that executes, you know, sort of all of them and, but like really only one of them counts. But the problem is then you work like, you know, then you have to, in every step, work as much as, you know, like say you have a thousand different opcodes, you have to work as much as your thousand opcodes. So what, what Supernova did first, and we do like very natively and very directly in, in Protostar is so-called non-uniform IVC, so we're able to support different instructions, um, but the work is only proportional to the ex- instruction that you actually execute, not all of the instructions that ever exist. Um, I wanted to bring this back to Espresso, and I wanted to ask you, you know, this work, Protostar, is there a connection to any of the work that you're doing at Espresso? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that again, right, it's, it's really important to point out that this is you know, open research and, and the main purpose is giving back to the community. Mm. But of course, you know, long-term, like it's it's not what we directly work on. So it is, does not have direct immediate impact on, 
on the products that we work on. But, you know, long term, um, for example, you know, the, 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 we also benefit from the innovations in zero knowledge proofs. So, for example, uh, in, in CAPE, we use some, you know, we currently are using Plunk as our proof system. And maybe in the future, we'll use something that is based on Protostar if that more, uh, develops more and more. Or, um, you know, for, for the sequencer, you might, you know, like have a smart contract that efficiently, you know, verifies your consensus. And that could be easily done, you know, using like something like Protostar, but that's more far out. Um, and, and right now it's, it's really, you know, for the community to give back. Cool. I was curious, like in the stage of development that both of those products are, do you sort of build them just using some proving system, something that you could potentially swap out? Does it not matter really? Because you're going to be using some existing proving system and instead you're working on like the architecture around it? Or does the proving system have a deep impact on how you have to build these architectures? I mean, this is like an engineering right question where, where like in theory, yes, we can swap out the proving system always, yeah. uh, you know, uh, but in practice, of course, you know, like the, the specific efficiencies have, have impacts down the line and, you know, like... Uh, uh, impact how much gas, you know, you're burning. Um, so of course, like, I think in practice, these things have, have real, real, uh, impacts and, and, and matter. Um, but, you know, of course, we're also trying to build things modular enough that we're able to respond to, to innovation coming from inside and outside of the company. Cool. I could talk about sequencing all day. It's like, you know, something that the main thing we're working on and, you know, maybe we should have a separate podcast on this. Uh, if you, yeah, <laughs> um, sounds but like. But <laughs> it's uh, uh, there's like really cool and interesting stuff happening there. And mm-hmm. um, but you know, we're building a sequencer that is agnostic to uh, the rollups that are using it. So it's a sequencer for different rollups, um, and different rollups. You know, both optimistic or zk rollups could use it, and and yeah, the sequencer does not care what kind of uh, proving system is being used for it. I see. I see. I think I already said I was going to say a last question, but I have one more last question, which is about the names that we use in this space. Um, Protostar, following Hypernova and Nova, also Plonk and Sangria. I feel like uh, Nico has, Nico, who is actually the co-host on the Srinath episode um, on Hypernova, he had sort of made some sort of Venn diagram of like the... <laughs> what is it? ZK protocol names that are about alcohol, about space. And then I don't know what he called this, but basically have the words hyper, proto, turbo, <laughs> ultra. <laughs> so it seems to be, I almost feel like we're one step away from being able to make like, I don't know if you ever saw these like indie band name generators, which would just be like combining. Yeah. Like, I feel like we're getting close to being able to do it for us. Um, directionally, where do you think we should go if we want to introduce a new canon of naming things? <laughs> I don't know, Vin. You do have ideas, like uh... <laughs> ask ChatGPT. Oh, ask. Yeah, okay, ask could be biology or zero knowledge dot zero knowledge dot AI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like Apple, right? Like at some point they switched from like uh, big cats to like places in California, right? Totally. I think they ran out of like big cats. And then, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Protostar, like, uh, I mean, we were thinking like, is there something combining alcohol and, uh, you know, yeah. the galaxy and whatever? 
but there's like a tiny bit of like meaning to the name true right? because it's like we were like hypernova you know that's very at the end of of the star life yeah uh, i think um and so we're going like back to the beginning proto star um, yeah, you know uh, but because it's also like because it's yes it's like a new protocol and improves on it but it also explains sort of like you know where these stars come from like the the yeah. the explains how these folding schemes work and the different building blocks um so that was like the you know nice um, the meta meta idea behind it um <laughs> but yeah cool the, i don't know we yeah maybe we got to go back to earth like uh, yeah. maybe but like the galaxies <laughs> like there's huge like you know there's many names there so, there's many names um, in the galaxy yeah. but also i mean I, I i would also keep an eye out for what uh zach comes up with because recently he created goblin plonk he went way off mm. card so That's it will be interesting yeah. to see what else comes out there oh, yeah, he's got goblin plonk and honk so we'll have yeah. to see where that where that goes. <laughs> no, there's uh, you know I mean yeah, there's so uh, like I'm I'm all for like creativeness and naming. Yeah. Um, as a frequent offender myself, like uh, <laughs> I think it's you know it's great. Like you know yeah. and and it, it's like it's like yeah it's it's kind of fun and a little bit silly, but it also like you know makes people remember more easily remember. For sure. Yeah, it's really helpful. I think it really um, is. But, I would say yeah. that's one of the funnest thing in the paper writing. Yeah. For getting a name for it, <laughs> for getting cool name for it. <laughs> nice. Yes, exactly. <laughs> cool. All right. I want to say thank you to both of you for coming on the show and sharing with us sort of the background to Protostar, all about Protostar, and yeah, how this relates to what you're doing. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. And I want to say thank you to the podcast team, Henrik, Rachel, and Tanya. And to our listeners, thanks for listening.